Hello, we are here live for a special episode to talk about We Will Rock You, the musical. So this is something that, it's a really unique show, and we wanted to bring it to you and give you a perspective on the show. And we're lucky because we actually have an interview coming up with the director of the play himself to talk about the play, his background, and what makes We Will Rock You so special. Because even though it is a bunch of Queen songs, it's completely unique. It's a future. It, the plot itself is futuristic, and it's all about a world where they have different cultures, and Queen music's kind of their way to communicate. So it's really fascinating. We're going to jump right into the interview with J.P. Thibodeau. How's it going, J.P.? Uh, pretty great. How are you today? It's going well, man. Thanks for uh, taking the time to jump on in the do an interview with us. It's I'm glad that we were so, able to get you. So happy to. Anytime we talk about the show in Queen, it is a great time. And it's must be exciting because you're going across Canada with this show. So coming to Sudbury is a pretty big jump, I would say. <laughs> it's pretty big, yeah. So the company itself, uh, the original producer, the producers of the show, Anarin Productions, are based out of Calgary, and their dream was to create a. Uh, show created by Canadians for Canadians to send across the country. It toured the States for three months last uh, year uh, and did about 75 shows in the States, and it has about another uh, 40 shows here in, Cal- in Canada. Interesting. So even though the show is based out of Calgary, is what was your role in it? Because as director, obviously you have a bit of impact. So did you change the show from the UK version? <laughs> Yeah, so, well, the UK, the, they're not connected in uh, any specific way other than they're both the same kind of show, the same show. So we worked with Queen um, and Ben Elton, who wrote the script for the show, and uh, Queen's music supervisor, Stuart Morley, who um, came out with us for a few weeks in Calgary, and we reworked the show, and then we read the score, read the script, uh, and got the show ready for this North American tour. So we've had a lot of say in how to make it um, more North American. Uh, a lot of the language of the show was a little bit more uh, UK, and some of the slang in the show was stuff that you know North Americans wouldn't normally say. So we readapted those things and made it a little more accessible to the audience that would be seeing it. Uh, but we did work firsthand with uh, Queen and getting getting their approval on the casting of the show and uh, and making sure that they uh, agreed to all the kind of changes and the things that we did to the show. Right, and I think that's a really interesting element of it because even when anyone looks online, a lot of the media coverage talks about how Brian May was a big part of the dress rehearsals and the planning as well. Yeah, Brian, Brian's a big part. So Brian loves musicals. Uh, Roger hates musicals. Uh, so uh, Brian's kind of been left in, in kind of charge of the show, I guess you could say, and what he loves about it. I mean, he's also a, an astro-scientist, so he's a pretty incredibly well-rounded guy. So he, you know, he's certainly... Um, knows what he wants the show to be. Uh, there are definitely parts of the show that we know can't change because of the way they like it to be. So they're definitely, um, you know, it's been a little bit of a surreal experience to work with them and, and get the show uh, to be what it is. That makes me kind of curious then, with your background working in mus- musicals for, for almost for over 15, 20 years at this point, how has the, how is the experience using that background and having to then work with someone who is a music first type of person. So we so Brian wasn't specifically with us. Uh, Stuart was his 
had breakfast with him in Vancouver after seeing the guys perform in Vancouver at their concert. And one of the key things we took away from that, the conversation with them, is that when they created the show with Ben Elton, they wanted to be a fan experience. And we didn't care so much about it being, you know, this life-changing theater experience. They wanted to be a fan experience. And if you, if you know much about Queen, Freddie's big quote is that their concerts aren't just concerts or recordings or live, live presentations of their records. They were theatrical experiences. And so they just wanted the show to be accessible to their, to their audience and to a new audience in new ways. And so they just wanted it to be fun. So once they gave us that kind of permission to just have fun, they kind of took the pressure off worrying about it being, you know, an uppity theater show and, and you know, make it, you know, life-changing and, you know, all these things that we kind of attach to theater productions. The show is all about fun. The show is about going out. If you like Queen, if you don't uh, love theater but you love their music, you're going to have a good time at this show because the show is got everything for everyone. Um, and if you love theater, you'll love the show too because it's got that too. But, it, you know, you're going to leave happy and singing the songs you're not going to leave wondering you know the ex- your existential existence and why you're on earth and everything else and so so in that part it made it really easy uh, to work with them because the show is about them and their music and just celebrating that on the flip side then was there what was an unexpected challenge of creating a queen based show the ch- i went into the challenge was necessarily with queen stuff it was that we did this out of canada um, Canada doesn't do this. We don't produce tours across uh, North America. Um, you know, we'll do rock concerts and have great, um, great artists tour Canada, but we don't create shows and tour them. That's an American thing. It's a very, very American ideology. And so that became the biggest challenge. Is how can we do this on a Canadian budget um, and still create a Queen show? So in that regard, it was like, how can we give an audience everything they're looking for in Queen, um, but do it in a way that Canadians can afford to do it. And, and we lucked out with an incredible cast and crew. Our uh, musical director on the show is Russ Broom. Russ um, is producer and uh, instrumentalist for Jan Arden. He's produced tons and tons of uh, incredible Juno award-winning uh, artists, as well as himself, a Juno award-winning artist. So we had him you know, in our back pocket to be the musical director on the show. Our choreographer on the show is an incredible award-winning uh choreographer who has toured all over we had a great team to, to pull it together and really make the show what it needed to be to kind of represent queen but also do it the way Canadians would do it yeah and i feel like it's sort of it's setting a precedent because even right now i mean come from away and hamilton they're really starting to try they're starting to spread their wings but they haven't yet hit that point where they're going across canada so it's fascinating watching we will rock you really take that as their claim to fame, I guess you could say. Yeah, in some ways, for sure. I mean, we're definitely seeing a lot more Canadian musical theater uh, in the forefront of that um, market. It wasn't necessarily, it hasn't really been the case. Come from away really kind of branded Canada in that way and allowed us to make a mark in, in New York on Broadway. Um, and I think... We're now uh, in a position in Canada where the infrastructure is there to see a little bit more of these um, big Broadway shows tour across Canada. So Broadway across Canada is a big component of that and proponent of that. Next year, Hamilton will be touring Canada. So you're going to see a lot more of this, but you're not necessarily going to see it in Sudbury um, because that's just not how they, they plan their events, right? They plan for theaters and the infrastructure to do a show that size, even our size in Sudbury is tricky. And so... Um, we went into the planning of this tour with the ideas that this could play places like Sudbury and Abbotsford, BC, and, and all these 
arenas around the country that don't get this kind of entertainment normally. How could we bring this to them? And so that really is a, uh, you know the producers kind of dream of this was how do we how do we bring this to everywhere, not just the places that have the big millions of dollar theaters. So that makes that sort of that raises the question then of what elements of main big stage theater did you keep and what elements of tiny local community theater did you borrow then um i don't think i think we just went big <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know kind of bit it to the butt sometimes because the show is pretty pretty large and so we've had a lot of learning curves in terms of you know how can we fit our huge show into some smaller spaces um, and so we've got an incredible design team who help with that. And so our, our set has a little bit of flex to it that we can make it a little bit smaller, a little bit bigger if we need to. Um, but from the initial concept of it all, we really planned for it to fit everywhere. And so it didn't really sacrifice anything to let it do that. We just, you know, planned accordingly and made sure that, you know, even in a subway arena, you're going to get the same show they're going to get in Toronto. It's going to be the exact same show, just a different venue. Right. And, uh, I think it's a really good way to also to jump into your musical background because you've been doing this since, uh, I mean, almost your most of your life at this point, right? For pretty long, my whole professional life, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been, uh, I mean, I grew up in northern Ontario. My family is all from Sudbury, um, born in Sudbury, uh, raised in Elliott Lake, so just a, just a few hours west of Sudbury there. Uh, but Sudbury for me is where my heart is, where, where home is. That's where my parents live. So, you know, being a northern boy, you know, you don't get to do these kind of shows all the time uh, growing up there. In fact, I remember my guidance counselor in high school saying they had no idea what I wanted to pursue because it made no sense. It wasn't a real job. Uh, and so, you know, I had to head south. And I went down south, went to school in southern Ontario and uh, got my degree in theater. And from there, just kind of moved through the industry as an actor and as a director and I toured the world in different things. And, and uh really just kind of in the last 10 years settled into directing and do a lot more directing and uh, creation of show. I've got, you know, four new, four crew, we've created four new musicals um, based out of Calgary here. And so Calgary has become home, um, but I've spent a lot of my time networking this industry and just, you know, finding my place. And, and a lot of this industry is about right time, right place. And, and uh, the right people and that's really how this kind of came into my being or came to my life was you know i just met the right people and the project was underway and they asked me to take part in another production and so i supported them on that production trying to again uh, you utilize albertans and, and canadians in the show um and so they created that show uh and then they asked me to stay on for this one yeah and especially with theater one of the big things or one of the big reasons that it's such a tight community is because you do go out on a limb to help support each other whenever you can. Without a doubt. It's, it's uh, you know, even right now I've got this North American tour touring everywhere uh, and I'm still, you know, directing four other shows at this time and I've got my fingers in multiple different artistic pies here because that's just the way this business works, right? You can't just stop once you've got one thing on the go. You're kind of always have the next project in mind or the next project on the go just to, to make this a career. So do you have any, at this point, do you have any tricks that you use to manage your time, projects, anything like that? I'm a big tech nerd. Uh, 
So you know, <laughs> if there's any apps out there, tech out there that can support that, I I just like to be really organized, and I think that that helps facilitate that. I've also got you know a wife and two kids, so you know you've got to you've got to make it all work right. And this industry is forgiving in that regard because the show will open on the day it's going to open, no matter what. Uh, so you have to make it happen. There's no you know, let's put it off by a day because there's a thousand people coming to that opening. You can't really do anything but make it happen. And so, you know, some things give at the time you're, you're planning, but for the most part, it's just good time management, uh, good time management. And, and I think more than anything, it's, it's relationships and relationship building is his career. Between the team members or are there other relationships that like the listeners especially just wouldn't expect? Right, like right down to the spotlight guy. Uh, you know, you never know who they are because in this industry, I mean, I design as well. So I'm not just a director. I, I produ- I'm a producer, and so we all wear so many different hats that you never know who that person helping out today, painting a set or doing something might actually be producing another show or doing something that you know you might be interested in. And so, it, it's just it's so important that you just you know, find relationships with everybody as, as best you can. Uh, and then, you know, forge those relationships as strong as you can make them based on the circumstances and what they can be. It's, uh, it's a tricky navigation that you add to that emotion. Uh, <laughs> uh, the theater is about passionate people uh, who all want something great to happen. And so, you know, there's fiery moments and there's, you know, somber moments and you kind of get it all. So it's, it's kind of like a whirlwind relationship. Um, uh, when you're creating shows and, you know, you, you want to end the relationship in a great place. And so that's really the, the trick and navigation of this industry. And and especially, too, with theater when it's live, you know, every role is important. It doesn't matter whether you're doing spotlight set or you're on stage. It's everyone is essentially equal. A hundred percent. I think so. I, I um, artistic, I'm the artistic director for a theater in Calgary here in we, we have a lot of emerging artists, and, and one, of the, one of the things we ask them all to do is, you know, go in and volunteer to be a spot operator or do these other jobs that we all take for granted because they all they all want the same thing, to put on a great show. And so even though, you know, the light might have missed you or, you know, you didn't feel like everyone was on their game that night, no one's, no one's doing it intentionally, and so keep maintaining those relationships is so key because they all play an important part. Do you have a favorite then over the years that you always go back to if you have the choice? In terms of roles in theater? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love directing. Directing probably will be my go-to. Friends have asked me over the years, you know, are you going to go back to acting? I, it's my first love is acting. Um, but, you know, I don't, I don't, I think, I think directing is where it is. But design is probably my favorite because it's just me alone creating, um, creating a world for someone else to play in so they're all kind of up there but design is the one and i say that because it gives me time to just breathe and relax and do my own thing which is not normally the case when i'm producing or directing yeah you're right actually it's very low stress and you're able to really express your creativity without having the pressure of everyone asking questions and needing everything yeah, at mean, that moment yeah, you always have the director asking questions, but it's a di- it's a different kind of relationship, and it's not, you know, the pressure to answer forty five people's questions at the same time. And connected, actually connected to that, since you direct, we will rock you. Does that do you feel? Do you find that that project is as equally exciting as your five 
projects with the Story Theater in Calgary, or is it just a sort of different project, all at the same level of excitement? Yeah, it's, it's, they're, they're all so different. Uh, we will rock use its own thing. Um, I wear a different kind of, I switch my brain to a different kind of thinking to do that show. Uh, I'm working on Never Ending Story right now uh, in Calgary, and we're, we have a deaf actor in the show. And so all the other actors are having to learn sign language, and I'm having to learn how to direct a deaf actor through an interpreter. Um, and so, you know, every time I do a new show, it's, it's just a different experience, right? They don't really connect to each other other than their theater shows. They have completely different obstacles to overcome, um, end goals, you know, so creating We Will Rock You, I, we had to create a show that we could uh, excite everybody and do what the show needs to do. But then we also have to consider the fact that these actors and this crew are going to live together for, you know, seven months on a tour bus. Uh, from city to city and you know what's that going to be like then when you know they're in the show they have to do all these other things together and so you're 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 constantly thinking of different aspects when you're creating shows they're they're very different other than they perform in front of an audience right because in the end even though we will rock you as a bigger show it's still a musical with actors and all the main positions and a script and the same structure as any other community show that would, that's happening in Canada right now, I feel it. Exactly. Yeah, it's, 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 you know, it's all kind of the same thing, and every show has its own obstacles to overcome. Um, and, and, you know, every, every audience is so different, and, and with We Will Rock You in particular, you know, it's, people are coming, you know, we'll get some people coming to see the movie. They think they're coming to see Bohemian Rhapsody, which, to be clear, it is not. Um, which is know, important to mention, because if someone is has those high hopes getting into it, they would be pretty sort of disappointed. <laughs> they, they definitely will, but I think they're pretty, like, within the first minute you realize, oh, okay, it's not the movie. Uh, and so I guess it's, you know, shifting your mindset in that moment. I would say that, you know, happens pretty rarely. But I think people buy their tickets thinking, oh, it's Queen, it's, it must be the movie. And so they come, some with that mindset. Some come thinking it's a tribute, uh, tribute band. And so they get in there. And I remember um, Stuart telling us a story about, uh, Brian and the gang were in the lobby in, in the UK in London when the show first opened, and uh, someone stormed out because they looked nothing like Queen. Uh, uh, the the, the, show, the people on stage looked nothing like Queen, and were so angry that these actors looked nothing like Queen, and they left the show. And so, you know, it's it's you know setting everyone up for the outright expectations. I don't think we've made any apologies that this is not a tribute show. This is not the movie. Uh, this is its own story. It's kind of a ridiculous, far fetched. Uh, story about the future where music is um, controlled by the killer queen and no one's allowed to have free thought or art or imagination or creativity and it's about a, tr a group of bohemians who are going to rise against this and, and find uh, find music and create their own sound yeah and can you sort of delve into the plot a little bit more when i was researching of course the plot comes up but for the general person going in seeing media articles it's i feel like it's probably it would be really useful for you to tell them sort of about the two sides and the characters and just yeah, to get sure. a just say get a feel of the layout you know before you jump into it absolutely so so um the show's written by ben elton ben elton is famous in the uk he's a huge comedian over there you'd probably recognize him if you saw him he's pop his popular shows are black adder a great uh, comic show in the UK. Mr. Bean uh, 
is one of his writing uh, shows, so you kind of get his sense of humor. And so uh, Queen approached him to write the show, and they said they wanted to do something fun, but they didn't want to be autobiographical. And ironically, at the time when they wrote the show, they said, no one wants to see our life story. Uh, and here we are. You know, the and yet Bohemian Rhapsody came out. <laughs> exactly. So you know, Jim, Jim kind of chuckled about that when we had breakfast, saying, you know, it's ridiculous to think that, you know, 20 years ago we thought no one would want to see a show, story about these guys, and here we are uh, being one of the most popular movies. Um, and so, yeah, they, they wrote this show saying, don't make it about us, just make it about something. Uh, make it about, about the music. And so Ben's written this show about this world, uh, global soft, kind of a dystopian, it's a dystopian future, uh, ruled by the killer queen um, and her henchmen. And the global soft is very uniform. Everyone wears the same thing. It's very... Um, uh, or um, uh, 1984 kind of feeling, you know, so it's very, the world is very controlled. Everyone looks the same, dresses the same. And then we have some free thinkers who come out of the, the crop and our main, our hero of the show is Galileo and his uh, counter hero or love interest of the show is Scaramouche. And the two of them are free thinkers who um, they end up, the killer queen ends up using to let them go free, but she puts a tractor in them to let them go find where the bohemians are hiding so that they can find the Bohemians and destroy them so that they won't have three free thought. So ultimately, it's about Scaramouche and Galileo on this trip to find the, Bohemi- to find the Bohemians or find themselves. Um, and then uh, there's a prophecy. Um, the Hard Rock Cafe is a central plot point of the show because in the future, it's the only thing that holds musical history. Uh, so all the historical knowledge they know of music from present day is from the Hard Rock Cafe and things they've found hanging on the walls of these old Hard Rock Cafes. So, and they don't know how to pronounce things. They don't know what things are. Um, and so it's, it's you know, a little bit ridiculous in, in, in nature. Um, but throughout this, every moment takes a Queen song and kind of plays through. So when Galileo and Scaramouche break out of Global Soft, they sing, I want to break free. Uh, when they... Um, when Scaramouche, you know, talks about how all she wants to do in life is find somebody to love, they sing somebody to love. So everything kind of plays into music, the music of Queen. So all the setups are all that we can sing a Queen song. Uh, in Act Two, the Killer Queen decides that her henchman doesn't isn't doing the job anymore, so it's time for him to bite the dust. And we go another one bites the dust, and you know, so it's a little bit kitschy and fun in that regard, where it's just like let's get to the next Queen song, and how can we do it in a fun way that still has some plot relevance. All this culminates in them finding um, a musical instrument because they don't know what these are. They've never seen a musical instrument. They find a musical instrument. And then the last 15, 20 minutes of the show is basically a rock concert where they figure out how to use musical instruments. Yeah, and I really I really admire how the show took the elements of Night at the Opera, like the, the Queen album, that contains Bohemian Rhapsody and a few other fantastic tracks that are, I would say, deep cuts of Queen. Yeah. In all honesty, and it's I just I just find it really it's fantastic actually how they how you took those characters and applied them in a way that people don't normally see them. Yeah, it's it's I mean Ben's done a great job of making them work. Uh, this is probably like the tenth iteration of the script and how how it all comes together and, and works. But you know the big song options we had were uh, play the game or now I'm here. And play the game is probably the more popular of the two, but we decided now I'm here was the more, you know, like you said, uh, deep cut, a deep cut for for Queen, um, uh, and so we decided to go with that version. It's a little more gritty, a little bit more rock and roll. 
So yeah, so it's uh, definitely been a ride um, hearing all this music. I mean, those songs that I never really probably had heard, but never really knew. Hammer to Fall is one of my favorites in the show. It's one of the one of my favorite moments of the show, one of my favorite kind of the way they sing it. Uh, so it's just a great, great song that comes out of nowhere. And I think a lot of people leave the show going, what, that song, what's that song they sang? Uh, because Hammer to Fall is not Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, and so it's, it's neat because people end up hearing a lot of Queen that they may have heard in a TV show or may have heard somewhere else. And, you know, I remember working on the show, my wife, I was, I was in my office and I'd be playing the music. She'd come down and go, that's a Queen song? that's a Queen song, you know, and by the end she's like, I know all those songs. I didn't realize I knew who Queen was, uh, you know, because we only associate Queen or many people only associate Queen with We Will Rock You and Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, yet they have this incredible repertoire of music that spans across every different kind of genre of music, which is pretty awesome. Oh, absolutely. And uh, as a way to sort of, to wrap things up, can you tell everyone where the, where the show is and where they can find tickets and just any other information that would be useful for us to know. Yeah, for sure. So the show is playing at the Sudbury Arena on Thursday night, uh, January 30th. Uh, showtime uh, is a good question. Uh, I believe showtime is 8 p.m. Um, I'm going to double-check here. I lied. 7.30. 7.30 p.m. at the Sudbury Arena. Yes, I was going to say, I, uh, I, I checked that beforehand just in case, too. And you're, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every venue is a little bit different, but yeah, so Sudbury's at 7.30 p.m. Uh, I don't know what parking is like there. You want to arrive want to arrive early so you don't miss the beginning of the show. I think people sometimes tend to arrive a bit later and they're wondering what the heck is going on. Uh, so you want to see the setup to understand what the heck's going on a little bit uh, and get a sense of the show. Um, yeah, it's going to be the one of our – we have about two more weeks of the tour here, uh, and then it wraps up for a little bit. Awesome. And uh... – as a final thing, what would you say is your favorite moment of the play, besides Hammer to Fall, of course? Yeah. Um, who wants to live forever? And I say that because our two leads are pretty sensational. And they don't copy Freddy. They don't um, – they aren't trying to be Freddy. They're definitely honoring Freddy. And they have two incredible voices and – I, when I read the script, I hated where that song landed. Cause it's almost the third song of Act Two, so and it slows right down because it's a big, long love, love slow song, right? But just the way it's orchestrated with the band, uh, with a live five-piece band, and they have this one moment in that in that part of the song where um, the band is lit and they and they just rock out, and you just watch them, and it's a slow song and. Just everything comes together with how incredible these voices are, and it's just the musicianship. Awesome. I appreciate that, JP. It's uh, it's great that you took the time to come on here and talk about the show in this detail, because I think that will really help people just know what's going on, but also get some insight on the theater community. Absolutely. I'm more than happy to. Everyone listening can catch the show on January 30th, and we are going to go to... Another older Queen song that you might be familiar with, uh, Radio Gaga. We will play that, and we'll be back in a couple minutes.